0: Well, we've uh, spent the last two weeks trying to catch up, and I was looking at the date of my last sermon, the sermon I'm, not going to, I'm actually gonna to preach tonight. It was supposed to be for March 15th. So we've, we've taken the last two weeks to kind of catch up to where we had been. And even then, we still have a part that we have to read through to set the stage. Um, but let, as we begin, I know we just prayed, but I wanna pray before we start digging into God's word to prepare our hearts. So Lord, we thank you for this morning, or this morning, this evening, and we thank you for uh, the blessing it is to uh, gather together, to sing your praises, to get together with God's people. And Lord, uh, what a blessing we have now in front of us as we uh, look into your word, your transforming word, that that word that renews our, our thinking that, that changes our hearts, that does spiritual surgery on our souls. And Lord, I pray that uh, now as we dig into your word, Lord, that as we travel back in time to the early church, uh, the first generation, uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would continue to... to To ask that you would change us, that you would help us understand your word and to see this new community and how they responded to your work. And Lord, how they were participating in your work in that city. And Lord, that we would be challenged, that we'd be encouraged, and Lord, that we would imitate uh, as much as as possible. Uh, But Lord, this is really just the celebration of, of your ongoing work, Lord Jesus. And in the book of Acts. And uh, we just just praise you. We just pray that tonight you would uh, be glorified now as we bring our devotion, our attention, our focus to you. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified through this church more and more and through local other churches and around the world, of course. But Lord, as we shine for the gospel here in Thousand Oaks and beyond, uh, may it be so evident that we are people who are committed to loving you and to worshiping you and to being your salt and light to this community. And may this book continue to drive us to think of this. So Lord, we love you and we pray for your blessing now in Jesus name. Amen. So David Wells uh, in his book several years ago wrote, it was called God in the Wasteland. And he writes that in many evangelical churches uh, people have a, a weightless God and, and what that means is that there's a lack of glory in the minds of the lives, in the mind and in the lives of the people God is not heavy because that's what one of the words one of the meanings of glorious means heavy or weighty and in many churches you know the worship of God is light the, the sermons are, are you know feel good real light and that's just, we, don't, we need to give God his weightiness. We need to, A.W. A. Tozer, a famous pastor from the last century wrote, No one rises above their view of God. What they believe about God is the most important thing about them. If you have a light God, when heavy trials come, you will be blown away quickly. We need to have a, a great and good God in our thinking because without it, you're, you'll be living mostly on the horizontal plane and not on the vertical. When trials come, folks, trials just, uh, if, it, if you have a trial uh, on the plane you know, in this earthly life, if you don't have a heavy God, this is all you'll see. The trial, and you'll see no way out. Without a heavy God, our worship will be limp at best. Man will be big, God will be small. We'll we'll more than likely give into all sorts of temptation because most temptation is an attack against the character of God. It's a worship issue. If you are worshiping God and you keep him as the ruling desire of your heart, all the other desires will stay in their proper place. But with a small God, a weak God, your desires will rule and you'll be ruled all, you'll be all over the place. Those we counsel will not be attracted to God because you won't have hope. He doesn't make a difference in your own life. We'll easily give up during trials and be overwhelmed. We won't think that God cares because he's, you know, he's not bigger than the trials. We will entertain more of the why of everything rather than the who that is ordaining everything. I've been teaching in my book counseling class about trials and suffering, and so much of trials and suffering, the way we get through them is, is, is looking at who is behind them and trusting him and loving him, and we let the wise play out. Focus on the who, but if you've got a small who, a small God, you're in trouble. We'll lose sight of his amazing goodness. He, God is not just the transcendent almighty God, but he's also the good God. And if you have a small God with a small understanding of Scripture and who he is, boy, you'll, you'll either have a, a cold, distant, majestic king who wants nothing to do with us or a weak king who just doesn't care. God is also good. Sovereignty helps us. It's one of the bedrock truths that help us in the, in the trials of life. His sovereignty, but his goodness is what helps us through as well. You are good and do good, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 68. He is good and does good. But look at Job. Job, you know, he, he struggled. And God never gave him the why, but he kept, he said, I'm the who. Will you trust me? And, and when persecution comes, and I'm drawing us into the passage now, if we don't have a big God we will be crushed. And we're going to see in this passage the kind of God the early church believed in. God was big, and we'll see it in how they respond. And so I I pray that this passage uh, tonight will challenge us because these are people just like us. Real people, they just wore different clothes and lived in different lands, spoke a different language. But their hopes, dreams, aspirations, fears were the same, human beings. So let's look at them and say, uh, let's learn from how they responded and, and, and see what, what they clung to in the midst of persecution. So that's what we'll be looking at tonight. So again, we're in, in really this, the story is, uh, we're going to end up in the uh, verses 23 through 31 of chapter 4. But the setting of this story begins in, in Acts chapter 3. We don't know how long it is after Pentecost, the very beginning of the church, but it's probably weeks at the most. And we have this amazing miracle, and I'm looking at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 here, where there's a lame man that everyone knew who was was by the beautiful gate at the entrance to the temple begging. And Peter and John, hey, we don't have any money, but we'll give you what we do have, and it's Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And what happens? He gets up, and he's leaping and praising God. I mean, this, this is public, it's undeniable, and it's amazing. No atrophy in his legs, he's, he's jumping and leaping. He follows them in for the hour of prayer, then he comes out, and then it turns into a full-on preaching session. Peter, in verses 11 through 26, gives a, a sermon. He says, look, the power that this happened was by Jesus Christ, O Jesus of Nazareth, who was just crucified. So he indicts them, but he also gives them grace, the chance to repent. And that's what happens at the end of his sermon. There's people turn to the Lord, but there's also persecution, and that's what we see that by the authorities in verses 1 through 4. The temple uh, hierarchy starts showing up, and they're like, they're, they're annoyed. They don't like this. You know, he's preaching about the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees didn't believe in that. Oh, and the guy that they're pronouncing, you know, that, they, that Peter's proclaiming, oh, they had just uh, crucified him. <laughs> couple months before right outside the temple walls just outside the city walls it was you know maybe a half mile away three quarters of a mile from where they were standing they didn't like it and if you see also too in the book of acts we see that there's increasing hostility to the to the christians matter of fact even in the on the first day when when they're the the you know the sound of the rushing wind and they're speaking in tongues and people are saying what's going on some mock them they're drunk well, here, they get arrested. And then later on, they'll be arrested and beaten. And then after, pretty soon after that, they'll be what? Killed by Stephen, the first martyr. And this is a threat to the early community, right? There's hostility. So the question is, is what's going to happen to the church? So we have to understand what's happening here. How will the early church respond? Yeah, there's powerful things go- happening here, but now there's, there's pushback. There's oppression, there's persecution because of the name of Christ. And that's the setting we have here. And we didn't get to Peter's uh, second chance to preach on this occasion because now he's doing it in front of the Sanhedrin. They've been arrested, all right, in verses one through four of chapter four, but now in verse five through 22, I'm gonna read what happens. This is part of the setup before the main passage here. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. This is the uh, royalty of the, of the religious uh, leaders. And when they had set them, Peter and John, in, their, in the midst, they inquired by what power... Or by what name did you do this? Oh, talk about setting the stage, right? And by the way, we see here, Jesus, when he told the, you know, the disciples before the resurrection, he says, hey, don't worry about what to say but when you stand before kings and, and the leaders of the world. You'll know what to say when it's time. And we're seeing this happen right here. The Sanhedrin was the ruling religious group of Israel. These were the men and here's, they've just lobbed him a softball, so to speak, right? By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, notice he keeps saying that (laughs) in the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, whom you crucified. They're indicted, they are guilty, they're culpable. Is there hope? Ah, we'll see. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. You can't stop this man. By him, this man, this crippled man, formerly crippled man, is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So he's referring to Old Testament prophecy. He's saying, you guys fulfilled it. <laughs> he's, the, he's the cornerstone. You're the ones who rejected him. You're indicted. Look at verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So right there, folks, just, and let's just stop there. Christianity is an exclusive religion, we, I have friends who don't believe this who have other religious faiths and, and when it comes down to, well, we're all going to heaven. We all have a different slice of the pie. There's different roads. I'm like, I have to respectfully disagree. Not because I'm smarter than you, but no, Jesus said it in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. Then Peter repeats it in front of the Sanhedrin, the high religious court of the land of the one true religion. Remember, all the other religions were false. The only one place you could could worship God before Jesus came was at the temple. That's the only true God. And to them, he said, it's Jesus Christ specifically. We're (laughs) we're really narrowing down. That, That narrow road Jesus talked about, it's very, very narrow. There's one entrance. It's through Jesus Christ. Pilgrim's Progress, the Wicked Gate. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. These are Galileans. They didn't go to some of our rabbinical schools. They didn't study under, uh, study under Gamaliel or whoever. Well, what's the deal? These fishermen? They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were marked men. They were marked by Jesus, and because of that, they were beget, becoming marked, marked men. And Jesus says, hey, if the world hates you, don't forget it hated me first. They're marked. They were marked by Jesus because of how of who he was and, and the teaching. And, and they had been marked because they, they saw him in his resurrected. Uh, he was resurrected, he was alive. And they saw him and they learned from him for almost, what, six weeks. They're marked. They've changed. Peter, chicken to brave. He, he, foot and mouth before and now he's preaching clearly. Uh, he's confronted by a servant girl the night of betrayal and he denounces Jesus here. He's standing in front of the highest court of the land and he's proclaiming Jesus. Transformation. They've been marked by Jesus. Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed, this time about these religious leaders, but they saw the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Uh, Proof is right there. The crippled man for 40 years had been crippled and everyone knew who he was, had been healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth, the one they mocked, the one they crucified. Uh, oops. You'd think they would say that, right? You'd think that if I am there and I saw that happening, I'd say, oh, I was wrong. <laughs> I repent. But we don't see that. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they, the religious leaders, conferred with one another saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we can't deny it. Therefore, I repent and we believe in Jesus. That's not there in verse 17. They're hard-hearted still. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. They know it's in the name of Jesus Christ. The proof is right there. Jesus had done all these miracles during his life, but they were so hard-hearted and they loved their position and their power. They refused to give up. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They are testifiers. They are witnesses of all that Jesus had said and done and of his resurrection. We can't stop. He's God and we have to obey God. And when they had further threatened them, the religious leaders threatening Peter and John, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. Isn't it funny? They're afraid of the people. They're not afraid of God. What is the beginning of wisdom that sets you on the right road? The fear of God, according to Proverbs 1.9 and 9.10 or 1, seven and 9.10. They, they were afraid of the people. They were finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. (laughs) This is, again, he'd been that way his whole life. So that does bring us into what happens now in response. So verse 23, we see the church... We see how the church responds to this persecution. They're praying to God. They're proclaiming Him. That's their response in the face of persecution. I'm just going to read the whole section and then go through it. So, when they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, their friends, the church, heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Lord, please end this persecution. It doesn't say that. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, Idumean and Roman, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They're all plotting together. But it was to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Jesus was not a victim. This is God's plan. It was fulfilling prophecy. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What a response. Lord, give us more boldness. Keep doing these powerful signs, but God, give us more boldness to speak. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness so going back through this just important to just see some things here That first of all we, we see the apostles when they're released they go back to the church to give an update they, have, they went to go back to say what had been told them and, and what happens to the new this new church what do they do they actually rejoice and they praise God and, and they p- plead for him to keep moving again Uh, you know, when we pray for different churches or missionaries around the world if they're experiencing persecution, we pray for the end of persecution. That's not a bad thing to pray for. But we mustn't just pray for that. We must pray for their boldness, their effectiveness, that the name of Christ would be proclaimed. Why can I say that? Because that's what the church did, who were being led by the men of God, the apostles. That's our example. Right and Paul, you know, in Philippians three seventeen, he's just said in, in verses uh, like twelve and thirteen fourteen that you know he's running this race and he's forgetting what lies behind all these credentials doesn't matter I just want to run this race I want to I want to reach the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and then verse seventeen he says hey by the way if you want to be successful run with winners too look around either imitate me and the other po- or look for other people in the church for you to imitate. Folks, we need to imitate what we see here in the early church. They are an encouragement to us. They're an inspiration to us. They're an example to us about how you face persecution. And, and we, don't, we don't have the persecution uh, that's going on around the world. I'm going to read some stats here in just a bit. When you start hearing about what has been happening in recent history, it's, today even, it's, it's saddening. But the church is not stopped. Christ's work in building his church does not stop when there's persecution. Let's look see what happens here. The church's reaction, persecution wasn't a problem. It, by the way, this is the first major threat to the early church. But to them, it wasn't a problem. It began with Jesus experiencing persecution, right? And it continues today, Untold millions have died over the last two millennia since the beginning of the church. And we're not surprised because Jesus said it was going to happen. Uh, 245 million Christians in the world have experienced high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Christ. Today, 245 million. hundred This I'm going off of the stats uh, from, it's called Open Doors USA. One in nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution, 14%. That's the rise in the number of Christians in the top 50 countries on the 2019 World Watch List who experience high levels of persecution, 4,136 is the number of Christians killed for faith-related reasons in the top 50 uh, countries. Two hundred or two thousand six hundred and twenty-five Christians detained without trial, arrested, sentenced and imprisoned in the top fifty countries. One thousand two hundred and sixty-six churches or Christian buildings will be attacked. Seven out of nine in seven of the countries on the top ten list, the primary cause of persecution is because of Islam. And there's more. You just keep going down just to see the persecution happening today. There's more persecution that happens today than most of the early church because there's just so many more people, and opposition is worldwide. But they're persecuted for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And, and that's challenging to me. Because here we are in, you know, America, and we're in actually a pretty nice part of America, Southern California. And how often have I faced persecution? Do people even recognize that I'm a Christian? Would would I be recognized as someone who's marked by Jesus like Peter and John as they were recognized before the Sanhedrin? These are things that I think about, and I think we should all think about, looking at our lives. Am I one who lives differently? Do they see and recognize that I have a hope? And they wonder what that hope is. Why would I have that hope? Now, these are some things that run through my mind. There's so, so many, I have to move past so many of these statistics. But here we go. We see that the response, instead of running like they did before, he's preaching. We see that with Peter. He took, took the opportunity to proclaim the name. And then we see that by the other believers after they get the report they pray, pray to God, praise God, and then what do they do? The Spirit shows up and they continued preaching. The church didn't run, they preached. They saw it as part of, of God's plan. All through the, per, the preaching and in and, and the midst of all this persecution, there was an absolute confidence in and the proclamation of the sovereign good God. They saw uh, they saw God's plan. It, it was his plan all along to send the son who was going to die and to rise from the dead. They saw that plan and they proclaimed it. They didn't back off from it. It's a crazy story in the eyes of the world. Your leader claimed to be God and he got killed. Yeah. Oh, and you said he rose from the dead. Ah, uh, okay. It sounds crazy, but it's true. That's why it's so important to understand uh, so many of the truths of Scripture that give us, for instance, historical markers. This happened in real history. I mean, uh, you just look at all the names and the places and the times and the people that were, that were being talked about. Have you ever uh, heard of uh, Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict? Great. It was one of the first books I read after becoming a Christian in college. And I was just so excited because he's walking through the evidence from history uh, that's, that's laid out in Luke Acts especially, and to show that, that this is a, a, a religion that's grounded in history with real people. Jesus Christ is not some mythical figure. I, mean, man, he, I love what C.S. Lewis said. He's either lord or liar or lunatic. You don't have any other choices. He's not a good teacher. He's not some wise rabbi. He made some incredible claims in real time, in real history. And either he was absolutely crazy or the liar of of the biggest of sorts, but there's too much proof that he wasn't. He's called one of the most amazing teachers of all time. This is no lunatic. It's no liar. You're left when you look at the evidence. He's Lord. And that's what they proclaimed. They saw him. He's Lord. And this was God's plan. Men, again, Luke was... The story of what Jesus began to do and teach acts as the continuation of Christ's work. And they saw that, that Christ was still at work building his church. Providence, another thing that, that just characterized this church. They saw that, that it was a gift from God to suffer for the sake of the name. It was the gift of a good God to suffer. Do you see them questioning his goodness? That was a privilege. He's our sovereign. Lord, thank you that we get to, to suffer for the sake. We get to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1:29, for it has been granted to you, that's the word grace, gifted to you, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him salvation, yes, we love that, but also suffer for his sake. Suffering is a gift. To suffer for the sake of the name, Philippians 1.29. Suffering, all trials are a good providence from God. We see that in Genesis 50.20 in Joseph's response to his brothers. As for you, talking to his brothers, they were afraid after, after Jacob's dad died that now Joseph was going to use his power to get back at the brothers for all they had done earlier in life. And he responds to them, as for you, you meant evil for me. He called it sinful. It was evil what they did. But listen to this. Look at his theology of God and his theology of suffering and his theology of the goodness of God. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God sent me ahead so that we could get Egypt prepared so that... Our family could be saved and preserved. That's what he said. I was just, I just, God just sent me ahead of you. That's all. Now he used your evil actions to do it, but God is still good. And he does good. He also uses, they saw. They, you know, they, they see, and we show, so should we, we should see that, that suffering is part of, of, it's God still working all these things. He even works the bad things together to help us to become more like Christ. You all know this passage, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for all those who love God, Christians, all things work together for good. Not all things are good, but he's working them together for good, both the good and the bad. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to do what? And here's the good of verse 28 to be conformed to the image of his son, to be more like Jesus. God is even working persecution to refine us, to make us be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. James 1, 2 through 4. Not only is he telling us he's in charge, but he's saying we should consider it all joy. Verse 2 of chapter 1, James. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's a purpose to trials. And we're supposed to rejoice because of it. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we just keep going on. They, they, they understood that God was behind this and still working out his sovereign plan. So they didn't pray for the end of persecution, they just prayed for more boldness. In the midst of persecution, he was, Peter and John, Peter was given the opportunity to proclaim Christ to the Sanhedrin. He witnessed to them. Amazing. Now remember, there were a couple people already in the Sanhedrin who had believed. Who were they? Just two months previous. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, they were both on the Sanhedrin. And we had somebody else who was closely related to the Sanhedrin at this time, who later becomes a believer. Paul, he's part of the Sanhedrin. Comes later on, we'll see that he was one of the ringleaders at the stoning of Stephen, which was pronounced by the Sanhedrin. Because it's amazing to see they're getting an opportunity and it's not going to waste. And so what what did this church do? They they cried out to the sovereign God. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're interpreting their lives and their situations started with God, not studies, not polls, not gurus, not influencers. They went to God. His sovereignty, his goodness And he's a personal God. When they say, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. This is a God who speaks to his people. The sovereign God is a good God who communicates with his creatures. He comes near. He's the transcendent who comes near. And also, too, we see inspiration here. God spoke through David by the Spirit. This, this This is one of those verses that talks about the inspiration of the scriptures. These are God's words. What David wrote here, what they quote, it's actually God's words through the mouth of David. And it's referring to the plan of God. They were relying on the prophesied promises of God here in verses, the second part of uh, verse 25 down through 28. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. He's, he's they their quote from Psalm 2. Psalm 2, we have the nations aligning against God's anointed. Verse 27, and they interpret it as happening right then and there. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So he's the Psalm 2 one that they're talking about. Both Herod an Edomian, and Pontius Pilate, a Roman, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They all gathered together, Gentiles and Jews, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They were plotting, but they were basically doing exactly what God wanted them to do. The nations raging, Amazing. And they were rejoicing at the fulfillment of this prophecy. And folks, you understand, this this should show us and this should drive into us. No one can stand against God's plan. I mean, there's a lot of fear right now in our culture. You know, (laughs) COVID obviously, but also a lot of fear because of the elections and who might be doing what might happen. Folks, who's still in charge? God is, and I know the context here is persecution, but their faith, their absolute confidence, should just rock us (laughs) and make us just. Well, we need this. We have more scriptures than they do at this point. The gospels weren't written yet. They didn't have the letters to the you know to the different churches. They didn't have revelation yet. Now, they had enough for certain. But folks, we have even more of just God's power on display and his goodness over the centuries. We need to, be, we need to see their absolute confidence and, and, and grab that. Hang on their coattails and, and take their faith and help us to be encouraged to have that same faith. And here's their plea First, they're praising of God, of going to his sovereignty. But here, they're pleased to continue with courage to proclaim Christ. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We need to do our part. Give us the boldness to do this Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Notice they're not they're not praising the apostles here, are they? God, give us the courage to keep speaking while you do your powers and signs and wonders. They're not making them small, but the point is, is help us to do our part, Lord. Boldness, like Peter had just displayed in front of the Sanhedrin. To proclaim in the midst of persecution for the sake of the name. That, and also to, and yes, the mighty works of God, those were to display God's power, to bring Him glory, to, to, to draw people so they'd say, What's going on? And they'd say, Oh, it's Jesus. If you notice it all the way through the book of Acts, whenever there are signs and wonders, it was always to say, Oh, it's about Jesus. It was never to pat ourselves on the back. Matter of fact, we will see there's some characters that will see what happens and they'll want to buy. Hey, how can we get that? How can I buy that? How much does it cost? Because they want the power. But the point is the power is supposed to point to Jesus. Amazing to see how they responded to persecution. And what is heaven's response to their plea? Right? We We see the Spirit's presence and then his power to proclaim. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I know it wasn't just a, some earthquake that everyone felt. The place they were in was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Again, the, the Spirit is present. the book of Acts, it is the Spirit who is sent by Jesus to work through the church, to build the church, to proclaim the name of Christ. His, his presence and his power, the shaking. And it's much like you know, Acts 2, earlier, on the day of Pentecost. The, the people, what happened before they started speaking in tongues? It's the sound of a mighty, like a tornado, a freight train. And it, and it, it drew people. And then there's tongues of fire over their heads, the sign of the Spirit. And, and they spoke in tongues, uh, in, in languages of known peoples around the world. And then here, we, we see the, the building shaking. And then what happens? They start proclaiming. They start proclaiming with boldness. They got, they got heaven's answer. They weren't like, give us more power so that we look better. So we have more status amongst the people. Oh, and, and do away with those religious leaders. We want to take their place. We need to make sure that we have a Christian nation. and uh, No, they stuck to, we want to proclaim the name of Christ. Proclaim the name of Christ. In the midst of everything going on in our culture, proclaim the name of Christ. We have to be so careful as the church in America that we don't get so wrapped up in tying uh, uh, you know, the name of Christ with, with politics. We have to be careful with that. Uh, We can't let people think that this party is the Christian party. We have to be careful. We have to be so careful. We have to be about the name of Jesus Christ. Should we get involved in politics? Absolutely. There should be Christians in every aspect of life seeking to be salt and light. But we have to be so marked as those who belong to Jesus Christ. And his, his name has to be on our lips because that's our world's only hope. It's our only hope, right? No matter if it's COVID-19 or who won the election or the economy or this or that, it's Jesus Christ is, is our answer because here's the deal. Everyone's going to die at some point, right? And the question is, is where are you going to go next? Because eternity is at stake. But it's not just for the end of life. It's how are you going to live now? I want my life to make a difference. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I want. And the only thing that will make a difference is the Lord Jesus Christ and what we can help people with, the hope that's from him, in his word, by his power. And so, yeah, we need to see what's happening here and looking at their perspective on persecution. Here's some of the so what's. We, we need to, to learn, too, that, again, they weren't attacking uh, praying against people, were they? They were praying to proclaim the name. And, and to me, that highlights, hey, we're on a rescue mission. We're not fighting people, for our war is not against people, is it? It's against the powers, the spiritual authorities, right? Not, when we look at people, we have to realize they're, they're, they're objects of rescue. We're not fighting against people. In in, in persecution, we have to remember again and again, the who is what comforts and not focus on the why. When you're in persecution, even when you're in trials, focus on the fact that God loves you, God is sovereign, God's in control, he's using it for his purposes, and we may not ever know what all the purposes are, but will you trust him? Well, that means do you trust the who? Do you need to know the why? God didn't give Job that answer and he was a righteous man. Let's just trust him. And, and two, <laughs> it's a privilege to suffer for the sake of his name. I mean, uh, during a few years ago when you saw some of these videos of, of ISIS and, and these Christian martyrs and you know, being told, hey, denounce the name of Christ or you're going to die a horrible death. And to... See them singing praises, hymns to God, proclaiming the name of Jesus. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. It was a privilege to die for the name of Jesus Christ. May we be challenged. And then notice too, the church praying in the midst of persecution. We can pray that persecution would end, certainly, but we much more should be praying that we would see opportunities to proclaim the name that we would be praying for the boldness of our brothers and sisters around the world who are in persecution, pray for their boldness, for their safety, but for their strength, for their effectiveness, and that the, that the, the name of Jesus Christ would continue to be spread around the world. And we have to be patient. That's one thing I see in this, in this passage because, again, they're preaching in front of the Sanhedrin, and there's a person there who's going to get even more hostile against the church and that's Paul well Saul at the time right and it does say later in Acts 15 that at the council of Jerusalem later we don't know how much later years later there were more who had been of the Pharisees who had become Christians so we need to understand that, that in the midst of persecution we have to be patient too we don't know how long a trial will last we don't know how long persecution, it could come here. Uh, certainly, I, I, I would expect it to at some point. But when we're in these times of persecution, we have to just trust that God knows how long it will last, how intense it will be, and we must be patient and persevere in the midst of it. First Corinthians 10, 13, right? And we know there's, uh, for there's no temptation that has overcome you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, and with the temptation will provide a way uh, oh, he would not oh, I'm sorry he will not give you more than you can handle but with the temptation he will give you a way of escape that you may endure it so he knows how long it's supposed to last he's the one who's in charge of it trust him choose to be faithful in the midst of it and and just he'll give you the strength to endure to his glory and our good and the church let's be challenged by them. Let's let us ruminate on this a little bit and ask ourselves: uh, Am I being faithful? Am I am I am I a person who will be faithful no matter what? Right? So that's that's this is uh, just more of, of just what gets my soul fired up seeing these early Christians. And uh, as much as we are so sophisticated with our, I'm preaching off an iPad, I've got my cell phone, and you know, we have all these doohickeys and all these gizmos, this 2,000 years ago, they showed us how to do it, right? They showed us how to do it, so let us be the same way. These, these brothers and sisters of ours, let us be the same way. Let's pray and we'll close things up here. Lord, thank you for, uh, well, the book of Acts, the, the record of your work, Lord Jesus, after your resurrection and ascension, as you send the Spirit to continue the works that you had been doing, that you continue to do through the Spirit by the apostles in building your church. And here we are 2,000 years later, and God, we need to see what you've been doing here, but to see these people, regular people, who you transform and by your powerful spirit as they praise you and trust you. They proclaimed your name, the only name under heaven and earth by which men will be saved. The only way to the Father is through your name, Lord Jesus. So God, I just pray that we would be faithful, that we would be so challenged and encouraged to see you and how you just do your amazing works through regular people. God, you are good and you do good. So, Lord, help us to trust you, our our good shepherd, our wise king, our powerful creator. Lord, help us to trust you and to uh, follow you and to remember our mission is to be your salt and light to a watching world. We love you, Lord. Thank you. And we just pray for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.